KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Matt Leon. As we move towards the inauguration of a new presidential administration in January, we are taking a look at how the incoming Joe Biden Kamala Harris administration is expected to approach many different areas of American life. In this episode, we focus on the world of farming and agriculture and what we could see going forward. Our conversation is with Dr. Christopher Gambino, an assistant professor in animal science at Delaware Valley University in Doylestown. This is important stuff. Give a listen. So before we look ahead to the next four years, what would you say, what's the overall been the impact of the Trump administration on the world of agriculture and farming over the past four years? Yes, so I think administrations have different priorities. Um, Agriculture is not just a single entity. Uh, We're seeing more and more that agriculture is becoming more diverse. Uh, crops are, are diversified, uh, even regionally, there's different needs. I, I think the present administration, uh, as it's exiting, what they did over the last four-ish years was focus on uh, some of the commodity crops and maybe less so focusing on kind of how ag relates to environmental issues. And what I hope to see and what I, I think my, my guess is we're probably going to see a return to aligning ag production and productivity with environmental outcomes, uh, which I think bodes well for both farmer uh, and society at large. As someone who doesn't quite know where to look for, you know, in the agriculture world of, of what the priorities are be, what are you seeing? What are you expecting? Has this been laid out? Yes and no. So prior to so in, in under the Obama administration, under uh, Tom Vilsack, who was the previous secretary for agriculture during that administration, the USDA laid out building blocks for climate smart agriculture and forestry. Uh, and essentially, they were a range of technologies, practices aimed at reducing greenhouse gas emissions, increasing carbon storage, looking to generate clean, renewable energy. Uh, and there were, there were about 10 of them that were laid out in this document uh, that was written in 2015. And obviously, so that never came into effect, but it's still there. It's still a template. And, and the best part about this template is that it's not, it's not so much carrot versus stick. It leans more towards the carrot. The USDA has a, a, a long history of cooperative uh, conservation efforts and partnerships with farmers, ranchers, and, and landowners. And so it's voluntary, uh, it's incentive-based, uh, it's cooperative in that they're agreeing upon and talking about how it's going to get implemented, and there's and it's measurable. And that's the most important thing is that if we're going to take taxpayer dollars and apply them to programs, we want to be able to measure uh, an outcome. And so this is this was a template uh, built in 2015. Do I think it's uh, immediately going to roll over and the Biden administration is going to take it up? Uh, I, I, I doubtful, but the, the groundwork's there. Uh, and actually, colleagues and I in 2019 uh, published a paper in climate policy looking and evaluating three of these building blocks in terms of uh, optimizing, uh, using optimization model for kind of what's the, the way landowners would adjust the way they're using their land based on the incentives of these programs. And we evaluated... Uh, the three of them and, and noted that essentially if, if all three were to be implemented at once, we'd probably, we'd see greater greenhouse gas reduction 
than the sum of each case if we did them individually. And I think that was the most important finding is that sometimes we often see things as kind of one-offs and we just want to do one policy versus the other. But if we, if we bring them both to the table, we can see complementary benefits. So I, I think that's a direction. Now, that's not the only direction I think that the new administration might go. To your point about, uh, you know, kind of how agriculture, it overlaps with climate. One thing you notice in a lot of industries, a lot of areas, is that kind of the private sector, it's pushing towards more renewable energy, cleaner energy, uh, more environmental friendly. And even if the government isn't pushing that direction, like I think we've seen over the last four years, uh, you're still kind of trending in that direction. So over the last four years, even though this wasn't a priority, was this still kind of the direction we've been going? I think you're, I think you're right in the sense that the, the markets drive a whole lot of what's going on. The, the customer demand, the consumer base uh, drives a lot of what we see in, in agricultural uh, adaptations uh, throughout history. Now, whether or not, I think we have to be cautious there because I think the, the consumer doesn't often have the full picture, doesn't often have uh, the full knowledge of the situation. And so they could be driving something that may not be the most beneficial. Uh, so that's the one, the, error, the place that I'd err on is that um, we wanna incorporate both uh, scientific knowledge as well as kind of ethics and morals in terms of the direction we're going. So both values-based uh, decision-making as well as science-based decision-making. And I think, uh, I, and I'm hopeful that the, the incoming administration, the Biden administration is going to return more to uh, evidence-based uh, decision-making and policy-making. So I think that's something we will see and it, it will drive both kind of how we think about it as a customer consumer in the market, but also have uh, at least some evidence in the decisions that are going to be made by, by emphasizing and, and actually reinvesting in agricultural related research. How big is, we've started to hear some of the cabinet picks uh, that the president elect Joe Biden will be putting forth. Uh, we haven't heard secretary of agriculture as we're recording this. How big is that pick to what direction we go here in the world of ag? I think it, I think it's relatively important. Uh, but as you note, they, they, the Fed can set the agenda. So the Secretary of Ag and the USDA can kind of set the agenda. But the, the biggest piece of legislature that surrounds these issues is the Farm Bill. And we're going to see that the 2018 Farm Bill expires in 2023. And so under this administration, we're going to see a re-up on negotiations for the Farm Bill. Uh, the biggest, so there's four, there's uh, 11, well, there's 12 titles in the bill. And the four, four titles make up about 99% of outlays, 99% of the money getting put out. Uh, and the biggest of those is the nutrition title, Title IV. Uh, and that's about, in 2018, that was about $326 billion. Uh, a large, large, large portion of that is the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, SNAP. And so, yes, it's the Farm Bill, and there's a whole lot of titles that relate to specifically to farmers. A huge part of it is food-related. And so the Secretary of Ag can kind of drive how they're going to implement and how they're going to cooperate with, say, EPA and other organizations, uh, which has historically been 
kind of ebbed and flow, the relationship between uh, preserving U.S. agriculture uh, and then kind of the, the mandate of the Environmental Protection Agency, which is kind of to protect human environmental health. Uh, that relationship's ebbed and flow. I'd love to see under this administration that the, the two heads, uh, secretaries of those organizations, uh, the two heads of those organizations work in, in, in complementary to each other. And then kind of going back to how important that person is, right? They design it, but uh, ultimately this legislation is under the guise of Congress. And so where a lot of this money's coming from uh, and a lot of it's gonna get, has to get appropriated. So a lot of it gets kind of is guaranteed, but then a lot of it is appropriated through Congress. That's, that's a lot of what we're gonna see in terms of policy and how policy is gonna change. It's, it's gonna change at the congressional level. It's, it's definitely driven by kind of the, the secretary and the administration, but ultimately you still have uh, both parties uh, within Congress, within the House and with the Senate that are gonna be negotiating over this huge omnibus bill. Following up on the, the secretary of agriculture uh, possibilities, what would you like to see and, and what are, who are some of the names that you're hearing thrown about? Yeah, we, based on the whole conversation we're having, I think the, the Secretary Act does play a role and, and who sits in that position kind of will drive the uh, USDA into a particular direction. I think it's notable that everyone on the table thus far that I've, that I've heard is, is a female. And so this would be only the second female secretary of ag in the history of the USDA. And so what, what we're seeing kind of as the front runners are uh, a congresswoman from Ohio, Marcia Fudge, as well as a former senator from North Dakota, Heidi Heitkamp. And then, and then one name that, that's not on the list, which I'm baffled by because I, I know that Biden's transition team has close ties to her is Dr. Kathleen Merrigan, who used to be a deputy, deputy secretary uh, of agriculture uh, under the Obama administration and was notable in her early career with kind of writing the initial legislation for the National Organic Program and herself has kind of been in several roles, uh, especially working with uh, Michelle Obama on her programs during uh, that administration. And so I think it's really notable uh, that it's, it's all females on the table right now. And depending on who we get, the focus could drive more towards kind of nutrition and food or more towards farmers in general. What are some of the challenges that maybe aren't frontline challenges that you would like to see the Biden administration start to tackle? Maybe things that aren't a huge deal now, but are going to be more important as we go down the line. Yeah, it's a good question. I think what I think what we will see and what what lends to that is a, a bigger investment and or reinvestment in in agriculture related research. And that helps us better understand technologies that can come online and benefit farmers, uh, ranchers, uh, and the like within the agriculturalists in general. And so if we'll see more dollars invested in research. That research tends to trickle down both historically governments taken on more risk than, than private industry. So that investment lets us be more innovative because we'll take on more risk. And then a lot of that gets 
uh, end up turns into technologies that get patented and, and used more widely. And then a lot of that ends up trickling down to farmers as well. So I think that's a benefit that we'll most likely see. And then what I also think is really important that we will end up seeing uh, that's that's different is a tie, and I think it's really important, is a tie back to kind of best management practices. So of those four titles I mentioned that, that kind of take up the most uh, money proportionally of the farm bill, uh, crop insurance is, is a big one, title 11, about 38 billion. It's kind of the second largest in, in retrospect to, or perspective to nutrition. And there's been some, some conversation about, right, it's really important that we, we as a society work with and align with our, our farmers or agriculturalists to uh, minimize their risk, right? Farmers shouldn't be taking all the risk of growing food for the population. We have to find ways to kind of collectively take that risk on. Crop insurance is one of those mechanisms. Uh, it's It's got flaws. And I think one of the biggest flaws is that it hasn't historically been tied to management practices. And, and as agricultural science gets better and better, we understand production systems that can minimize risk, right? The way that we intend to soil in a cropping system can minimize the risk of erosion of, of your topsoil, can minimize the risk of uh, flooding, can minimize the risk of runoff. And so these best management practices, we're, we're understanding more and more about them, and yet they're not tied to the risk that the farmer's taking on. And so I think what we'll end up seeing, maybe not under this administration, but as, as we move forward, is maybe a push to start saying, okay, we recognize the risk. We as a society want to take on that risk with you. But in order for us to take that step, we think that these best management practices should be a baseline because your risk reduces if you take them. And so let's let's put the money on the table for you to have risk, right? Because you can't predict everything. There's so many facets that go into ag. Uh, you can't predict climate. I mean, we can do a good job forecasting it, but forecasters are always, often wrong. So we'll take the risk with you, but you got to reduce your risk by implementing these best management practices in a cropping system, in a livestock system, in, in whatever agricultural system. So those are the two main things I think we'll see uh, moving this direction. And I also think that under the nutrition bill, where a lot of the money already goes, we'll start seeing that as, as an avenue for, again, tying it to, say, something environmentally related, something best management practice related. We're going to we're going to get all this food out to you. Um, and then, but, but those choices might start getting tied to things like uh, better, better produce or more sustainably produced products that, that manage with these best management practices. I know the Trump administration has poured a lot of money towards farmers uh, in the wake of the pandemic to try to, to help you know, where a lot of farmers were devastated for, for various reasons as a result of uh, what we've seen across the country with COVID-19. Are there things you would like to see? First of all, let me ask you about the Trump administration's effect to, to try to help farmers during the pandemic, and then kind of piggybacking on that, are there things you would like to see an incoming administration still in the midst of a pandemic do to either continue or change ways to help farmers uh, that are suffering through the pandemic? Yeah, I think there were, I think getting money out to people struggling is always an option we have to have on the table. And, 
and have to consider carefully how we get that money out, uh, whether that be farmers or that be consumers. And so I think the fact that there was a push to get that money out and a lot of money did turn towards uh, farmers and, and then we, we even got livestock folks involved in the mix was really important. Uh, I haven't dived back into the details to look at kind of where the proportion of that all went. But I think that it is important that we got money out into their hands as, as farmers, uh, ranchers, to continue to produce something. I think, I think my biggest critique was the, the forced opening of different facilities um, where I, I recognize the need, I recognize the idea behind it to get the supply chain moving again. Um, but I, I'm not sure that it was well vetted to think through what this, this looks like. I know a lot of livestock producers were hurt in the process, uh, had to euthanize animals because the supply chain was down, right? So lost a ton of, of product uh, and even and from an environmental standpoint, that, that hurt society as a whole, right? All these resources, nitrogen, carbon, phosphorus went into producing this animal and the animal never even made it to market because the, the capacity of uh, processing facilities was either gone or severely limited. So I, I think that's the one critique I have, whether or not it was the right or wrong decision, I'm not sure. I think we needed to figure out something to do with the supply chain. We needed to keep supply chain moving because euthanizing animals is in no one's best interest. Uh, so certainly the producers had no desire to do that. Um, they wanted to produce a quality product, get it to market uh, on the shelves. And so that would be the, the biggest critique in kind of this moment. Moving forward, how do I think the, the, the incoming administration can continue to provide and stand with farmers and ranchers? Uh, I think it's, it's dollars and I think it's working with them to hear their issues. Um, I think there's a lot of livestock producers in general that, uh, particularly on the cattle side, that, that have issue with kind of the, the way the supply chain is built. And so I think, and I, I've heard it, plenty of times, even at the, the local level in Pennsylvania through PDA, right? A conversation from Secretary Redding is, is the supply chain. Now, whether or not the supply chain is really fraught is going to take more analysis, but I, I can all but guarantee there's, there's a look at the supply chain coming and we've got to figure out how to, if this happens again, keep the supply chain moving. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In Depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon. 